from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! I'm not going to lead with the Sean Elliott story because I don't think we've ever talked about Georgia State football on the show. I'm not going to lead with it, but by the end of the show, I'm going to talk about it because this is a wild story. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll get to it. Also, a pretty sizable um, wardrobe shaming campaign has erupted within the company. There is a push internally to rid me of the white tee, but as you see tonight, we are fighting back. So as long as I can... I'm holding on to tradition here. I wish I could say the same thing for college football. Late Kick is live. It is jam-packed high atop a warm and cozy downtown Nashville, Tennessee on this Thursday night, February 15th, the year of our Lord, 2024. Hope Valentine's was good for you. If no one else said it, I love you all. But I didn't love what happened in 2018. What a disaster that was. We're going to discuss that tonight. I've got some very happy things to talk to you about. Basically, the best parts of this sport I'm going to talk to you about tonight I'm going to talk to you about win totals in the Big Ten. I'm going to talk to you about program rankings in the Big 12. What an SEC homeristic show we do, right? Also, like I said, towards the end of the show, I have, I have got to take at least one dive into what happened today with the head coach, who is now not the head coach, of Georgia State. They're watching us in Bullet Creek, South Carolina, College Station, Texas, Forts in Georgia tuned in, and Saratoga Springs, Utah. Thank you so much. I know we had announcements today from EA Sports, well, a more formal announcement, about the video game coming back. Now, I'm not the biggest gamer in the world. I know a lot of you are. I'm ecstatic for all of you. But I know Dynasty Mode exists. I know Create a Team exists on that bad boy. And I'm just saying, I think probably one of the only ways many of you are going to ever get your hands on the Chalice of Supremacy is if you represent Pate State in a proper manner when that video game does come out. So that challenge I'm putting on the table well ahead of the summer-ish release date for that game. But that's for then. How about now? That's going to make the sport great. I think a lot of people agree that's going to be a good thing for the sport. But in the meantime, what I wanted to do today, amidst all the talk that some of the shows have been a little downtrodden lately and there's been some negativity around college football I wanted to say, well, forget all that. Let's pop the negativity balloon and let's just go full frown upside down positive to start this Thursday evening. A lot of you will listen to this Friday and it is my pleasure to end your week on a high note. So Director Colin, actually, you don't have the tweet I put out, but first let me tell him what I did earlier today. I was sitting around with Jesse. We were kind of tossing around back and forth things we wanted to lead the show with. And, you know, Jesse's a very negative person. He wanted to go negative, but I said no. That's how I remember it, Jesse. I said no, and I said it's time for positivity on the show tonight, and I pulled out the eye, Josh, as I usually do when I need an idea, and I went to you guys, and I said, hey, the best thing about college football is blank, and then you guys responded accordingly. So what I did was I compiled a few things, and I'm going to give you some thoughts of my own, but I, uh, I highly advise using what we're about to do on the show on the people in your life that don't watch college football. And I know, I know good and well some of you have family, some of you have significant others, some of you have mm, close friends at work that you'd love to converse with more, but for whatever reason, they're just weird. They don't like college football. And you, they're outside the circle, but you want to bring them inside the circle, but you yourself aren't the best recruiter in the world. 
Don't worry. You could just use this. Put it on 1.75 speed if they don't have time and, and just run this by them. Okay, so here we go. What are the best things about college football? You guys sent a laundry list in today. One of the first tweets we got was from the Ian Fritz Show. He said, games being played on campuses, or campi, which as we know is the plural of campus. He said, nothing will be cooler. He's right. He's right. I go to NFL stadiums sometimes, all due respect to the Sunday game, just like asphalt jungles, cookie-cutter stadiums. They're worth trillions of dollars. They've got all the bells and whistles and all the trappings. But, man, you take me and put me in the middle of nowhere. Put me up in State College, Pennsylvania. I know it's going to take three days to get in and out of there. And the stadium looks like an erector set, and that's beautiful. It's beautiful because it's on campus, and it's wonderful. And those little places... About 355 or seven days of the year are pretty small towns. And then all of a sudden they morph into like the first or second or third biggest towns in their states just because there's a football game being played there. There is no energy in this country like there is on a campus in a college town on a game day. And I'm going to talk more about that later. Next up, Colin. These were so good I could go through these all day. Immunity. Unpredictability. Scrag Lee hit me up and said, the best thing about college football is unpredictability. This is the wrong time to be saying this, but it's the right point. So this past year, we had a precious lack of what we call volcanic Saturdays. So normally on a Saturday, you're going to go all week and you've got your rankings out there and you've even got the JP poll out there. And don't even worry about that if you don't know what it is. And you got point spreads and you got all the things you think are going to happen. And then you got teams you think are invincible and inevitably they just boom, boom, boom. They start to fall. And about three times, I would say, on average per year, we have volatility to the point where we call it volcanic Saturday. And that's just when things erupt and all the craziness happens. And you know you've been sitting there at 1238 a.m. as the dust is settling and you're sweating out the Hawaii second half cover and you have no clue. What just happened? You have no clue. I am probably like flying home from a game I was at, and I'm thinking, we've got to do a show tomorrow night. What, what am I going to say? How do I put into words these feelings and, and thoughts that, that are going through my mind? Unpredictability is so great. It's so great in college football because you're virtually guaranteed it. And last year was the first year I can remember in a long time where we didn't have that true volcanic Saturday, which, according to history probably means we're due about three or four of them this upcoming year. Next up, the best thing about college football, the pageantry, says Ryan Justice. The pageantry. Pageantry is awesome. I think some people don't know what the word pageantry means, even though they've heard it before. They may be able to spell it, which is truthfully more than me without red squigglies a couple of times. Pageantry is it's kind of synonymous with college football. I think tradition and pageantry are the first two words most of the time that more old school types mention when they talk about college football. Pageantry is basically partially what you see, partially what you hear, partially what you feel, but you could close your eyes and experience a lot of this stuff. Uh, you also don't have to be there on a game day to soak in pageantry and whatnot. It's just, it's awesome that they're playing the same game, you know, but if you go to a game at Texas A&M, there's nowhere else in the world where you're going to see the unique set of traditionary elements, traditional elements, not traditionary, traditional elements that you'll get there. Then you go to Blacksburg, Virginia. It's totally different. 
but they're going to play the same game and the dimensions on the field are the same, but that's, it's about the long and short of it. That's about where it ends. You got pageantry and it's different place to place. I agree with that. I could say no more. I love that. Next up, this is a really good one. I would not have thought about this. Andrew said, diversity is one of the best things about college football. Nowhere in other sports do you find the same level of fight songs, chants, traditions, coaching styles, offenses, defenses, all the things that encompass a college football Saturday. Hey, I don't even have to go through all the other stuff he talked about there. Just think about the styles. You, you'd never get that. At the pro level of any sport, you don't get the diversity and style that you get in this sport. You understand that in the same time slot on any given Saturday, think about the extremes that you could have seen once upon a time. You could have turned on a Mike Leach game at Texas Tech and seen them throw the ball 65 times, 70 times, and then you could have turned on a Navy game and they throw the ball once, twice, and you say, how can these be the same sport? The answer, college football. That's how. Next up, Colin. Yeah, diversity, wonderful thing there. Um, I was going to hit on this one, so I'll save that one for just a second. So Matt said the full game day experience of going to a game, nothing's better than going to a good matchup with a lively tailgate. Let's pause there tailgating. I know some of you think you have it in other sports, not like college football. You don't. The game day atmosphere, it's like a radius around wherever your stadium is. In most cases, uh, you could you could see it from 35,000 feet in the air. I don't know what it looks like because thankfully I'm normally on the ground embedded inside that, but it's amazing. And here's what we get to do. So a lot of times We'll be at places way early, like six hours before kickoff sometimes. We're doing some stuff for CBS, and um, if we're in good with the SID crew, they'll let us in the stadium well ahead of time. We'll do all our pregame hits, and then we've got time to kill. So if we're in Oxford or if we're in Knoxville, uh, Utah, we did this this past year. We go out into the tailgate, and we just go eat. Sometimes I'll put out a call on the social platform saying, I am right now in Eugene, and I'm hungry, and the crew needs to eat, and a ton of you will flood the DMs. Come over here, come over there, come to this hall, come to this lawn, and we get fed. And the smells, oh, the smells are awesome. Could never, ever bottle that up and experience that anywhere else. What's next, Colin? We've got tradition, we got pageantry. Tradition, postmodern caveman mentoring tradition, kind of goes hand-in-hand to me with pageantry, but I have to once again reiterate, you, you really owe it to yourself, if you're a fan of this sport, to make it to as many places as you can. Because I know you know the big ones. Like you know, the, um, you know the, the touching of the banner or dotting of the eye at Michigan and Ohio State. And you know the running down the hill at Clemson. But some of the stuff that's traditional, you know, like with our fine friends down at LSU, networks can't even let go on their air. And I, I recommend waiting until the children are at least teenagers to take them and have them take part in some of those in-stadium traditions in Baton Rouge. But look, this is a neck. We've all got them. But neck at LSU games just means a little bit more. And that's a tradition that you really only get to experience full throat if you're in Tiger Stadium, preferably on a Saturday night. But to be honest, they'll get after it even in the 3.30 window or the noon window. Next up. I know that was about to get clipped down there. Uh, the best regular season in sports. Yes, yes, yes. This is, this is my fist here. This is the table I pounded on all the time because that is what some of us want to preserve. Nay, 
most of us want to preserve it. And there are even some playoff expansionists out there who agree wholeheartedly that it's the best regular season in sports. Uh, you may disagree with me on how much a detrimental impact expansion of the playoff will have on it, but save that for another time. We all agree, I think watching this show, that we got the best regular season in sports. And um, that's the center of the sport to me. Now, this is where I'm in the minority, I think. But I don't care because I feel how I feel. I think it was Dan Rubenstein, who I listened to several years ago. I, I mean, still love Solid Verbal, but I used to listen to every single episode of Solid Verbal because I drove back and forth from Atlanta to Columbus a lot back then. And I remember one night, it was the first time I ever heard someone articulate the way I felt about the college football playoff versus the regular season. And he kind of said, the playoff, yes, we need to have one. Yes, it's great. But I'd be okay if we just didn't have one at all. And the reaction was like, wait, what? And he said, it's about the regular season to me. This sport is already so asymmetrical. It's already so tilted heavily towards the haves, away from the have-nots, that to pretend all these teams are playing the same sport on equal footing to begin with is really dumb. And we can kind of turn a blind eye to it for the sake of maintaining the mirage of, of well-constructed postseason. But he said, and I agreed with him, he said, just give me the Saturdays in the fall. I'd be okay with the rest of it. Now, whether you feel that way or not, the Saturdays in the fall part are absolutely awesome. And for a long time, they've been awesome because they derived their value from something other than being affiliated with bleeding into a postseason. I told you my first game I ever went to was a random North Carolina versus Georgia Tech game. Shout out Reggie Ball. And I, it was the BCS era, but there were no BCS implications on the line that day. Both teams had multiple losses already. Nobody cared. It was a really lively environment, and I enjoyed myself thoroughly, and I didn't leave there at the end saying, oh, it's kind of a meaningless game, wasn't it? it was, no, it wasn't meaningless because it was a Saturday in the fall. Like that, That's what it's all about for a lot of us. It's, all been, it's been pretty much about that for a long time. Uh, let's roll on, Colin. Rivalries, oh yeah. We're getting Texas and Texas A&M back this year. Yep, we got Texas OU moving to the SEC. Got some rivalries that I, as college football commissioner one day, will fight to get back. I guess if I'm the commissioner, though, I could just issue executive orders. It's pretty much like the presidency, I think. Um, it says that somewhere in the Constitution. So, yeah, I will just, I will executive order a lot of these rivalries back into action if we don't get it taken care of before then. Rivalries are awesome. Rivalries are great. I've been at the last several Michigan-Ohio State games. Nothing like it. Been at like 10 Iron Bowls. Nothing like it. Texas OU, I've been at two of the last three. I keep saying nothing like it. I mean, in totality, though, that feel, the tightness that you feel like Texas OU, I don't know what it is about that game. It's, it's top to bottom, just incredible. But there's a feeling where you could watch the teams leading up the three or four weeks before that, and you, you get a good feel on them. But the morning of the game, walking into the Cotton Bowl and, and watching how immense, how thick the hype is and how thick the nervous energy is, you almost feel like, Dude, anything could happen today. And it doesn't matter what my model says. It doesn't matter what the numbers say. It doesn't matter what the point spread says. It's just like this past year. 
Oklahoma, what were they, about a five or six point dog, Jesse, and they end up winning the game, and Texas, down inside the 10 a couple times, turns the ball over, that kind of stuff. It, it, even if this is anecdotal, it feels like that's more likely to happen on a rivalry Saturday, just because of how much rides on the outcome. This past Iron Bowl, I mean, Isaiah Bond's not even at Alabama anymore. Think about how different you're talking with him catching a, what was a fourth and 31 or something like that versus just that ball falls incomplete, Auburn wins the game, Alabama goes to Atlanta hollow, Georgia probably beats them soundly, Georgia goes to the playoff, Georgia probably wins the national title this past year, but they didn't. Because why? Because rivalry Saturday. Next up, uh, the best thing about college football the colors, the bands, the, the cathedrals, love that word usage, the cathedrals they play in, the crowds the NFL only wish they could get. I would have others, but the sport has changed dramatically. I am, I don't know if I'd be in the minority here. I need a lot of feedback on this segment. Am I in the minority in saying I wish there was less piped in music in college football stadiums and the band handled more of the lift? when it comes to in-stadium ambiance, that's me. That's me. Now, in fairness, pretty much everywhere we go, we end up interacting with one or two dozen members of any given marching band. We're, we, are, we are America's college football band show. I was not in band. I was in a band, not the band. But um, yeah, I'm all for bands. I'm all for colors. Uh, it's all part of pageantry. And I'll talk about stadiums in a little while. Next up, uh, this, this, one, this one tried to take a turn towards a negative town. Christian said, the best thing about college football is what it used to be, not what it's turning into. Meemaw used to always teach me when I was young. She said, Joshua, the best thing about college football is the players choose the school, whereas there's this other game, this pro game they play on Sunday where the teams choose the players. And the fundamental difference was, of course, players are committing to this place. It means that they, they're more passionate about that place. They're not a mercenary. They don't have to go there. They choose to go there. Meemaw told me they weren't getting paid. I, I think case by case, Meemaw was right. And to a larger extent, I knew the point she was trying to make. But as that fades away a little bit, this is probably a case study for down the road. As that fades away a little bit, I'll be interested to see how that changes. How does it change how this generation and future generations perceive the difference between college football and the NFL? A couple of other ones I wrote down. Happy to have you guys with us if you're watching live, by the way. I, and this is me. Now, I nerd out on this stuff. I love old, asymmetrical stadiums. I love stadiums that look like they're three different Lego kits that you just blended together. I used to create a reconfiguration of like a Monday Night Raw arena built out of Legos. I had a Titantron and everything. Jesse, you would never have been able to do this, but I had that built. And I, I remember I got a, like a pirate ship Lego set and then a construction Lego set and then a truck Lego set. And I tore all that apart, lost the instructions, and I built what I wanted to. That's what some college football stadiums look like. Some parts have been built in... 2009 and some parts were built in 1939 as expansion has happened and renovations have happened i think it's great that i could be walking through the bowels of your stadium and right here it looks like tornado damage i could walk 30 feet through a door and it looks like the lobby of a five-star hotel and sometimes 
If you're following me on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh, I show you that on Saturdays in the fall when we're on the road. I love watching logistics get handled. Do you have any idea with some of these big teams what kind of task it is to take them on the road? It's, a, it's incredible. It's way more than an NFL team because there are way more people than travel with NFL teams. And the locker room accommodations on the road are way inferior to the NFL, but kind of in a good way because I like watching that. And so that's a challenge. Like there's a more true home field environment in college football than there is the NFL. Feeling the energy in a college football town build throughout a Friday is unmatched. Like I said, a lot of the pro games are being played in major cities. So if, if the Falcons are going to play the Eagles, you can't tell a difference in Philadelphia because it's Philadelphia. The place is huge. But if Georgia is going to play Penn State, you can absolutely feel the difference in State College, Pennsylvania throughout the day on Friday because there's a steady stream of cars just snaking in town. And I'm normally there already on Friday. So we get to feel that energy start to build on Friday. I love that. I love the close your eyes factor the most, though. This is where our sport separates itself from every other sport. And I've, I've been at all of them. I used to, I used to use my uh, credential... Uh, capabilities in local news to go to NBA games, NHL games. I've been to all of them. I've been up close, been behind the scenes at all of them. There's a close your eyes factor in college football that's unmatched. Across the landscape of college and pro sports elsewhere in the United States, there is no other sport where you can close your eyes and still very, very readily tell where you're at, to me, than college football. Uh, Now, the NHL at times has that. Like Hockey, ironically, is the closest to this. But I think college football has it above and beyond anything else. And it's kind of a blend of different elements that that kind of, I guess, peak the senses a little bit. And if you've been in person in college football stadiums all across the country, you know what I'm talking about. But I had fun with this. I I scrolled through these for like an hour today. The best thing about college football is, that tweet's still up, by the way, if you want to go reply. All right, welcome in. If you're watching live or if you're not, Make sure you subscribe to the channel and like the video. Let's do some very, very dirty work here. Uh, we're doing it twofold tonight because we've got to do some, some very, very honest assessments of some programs later on. Uh-oh. I'm not even going to say anything this time. Big 10 win totals are out, courtesy of FanDuel. And boy, do I have some thoughts here. So we did the SEC the other night. That video is on the channel. You know, there are four teams in the Big 10 with win totals of eight or higher, just four. And it's Ohio State, it's Oregon, it's Michigan, and it's Penn State. There are seven teams with win totals of five and a half or lower. That screams secret garbage, a large chunk of it at the bottom of your conference. That doesn't always mean that's how it plays out. So some things that stood out here, there are are 12 teams between seven and a half and five and a half. So you got a bunch of Washington's and Iowa's and and USC's and Wisconsin's there's just like that huge middle ground there where even odds makers are saying yeah I mean obviously someone's going to emerge from here someone's not even gonna come close if you guys think you know better than us go ahead so some teams that I think there's going to be an early under lean on Michigan at nine and a half is a solid under lean they face three of the top five teams in the playoff odds just pause for effect there They play Texas, they play Ohio State, and they play Oregon. That's right, folks. 
Michigan plays Texas at home this upcoming year. Or, or you could say Texas has to play Michigan in addition to joining the SEC this upcoming year. But anyway, you got a complete program reset. you got a quarterback reset. Nine and a half is a very, very lofty number. I think Michigan, early action on the under. Iowa at seven and a half, I'd say early action on the under here. Defense does not bring much back for them. Normally, you've gotten yourself into a mode, at least I have, of being able to say, I don't care. Yeah, they'll average 11 points offensively a game, but they can hold a lot of teams to 10 or less. So, you know, they'll win eight or nine games. Well, maybe not so much this year. Kate McNamara didn't have good numbers even when healthy last year. They got Iowa State. They got Ohio State. They got Wisconsin. There are no, no favors done, I guess, is the way I would describe Iowa's schedule. Now, unders are not fun to talk about. Overs are a little bit more fun to talk about. Could I interest you? Probably not. I wish I could interest you in a very in-depth discussion about why Rutgers is going to win more than seven and a half or six and a half games this upcoming year. Maybe seven and a half. We'll see. But the total on Rutgers is six and a half. You know who they don't play? Penn State, Ohio State, Oregon, or Michigan. Or as you may call them, the top four teams in the conference this year. They're top 10 in returning production. Greg Schiano's a good coach. In fact, when we did the segment earlier today, what's the best thing about college football? Someone just said Greg Schiano. No context. Just Greg Schiano, which would be a good Twitter follow. No context, Greg Schiano. They don't have back-to-back road games either. Rutgers is going to win more than six and a half games. There you go. What are we here for? To make bold predictions in February. What about Penn State? They play Ohio State. Whom stelts? Because the over-under is nine and a half, not 11 and a half. So they're, they're not going to be favored against Ohio State. But where else are we looking here? Where, where else are we looking where they're not favored? You're probably looking at Penn State favored in either 10 or 11 games. They've got a trip to Southern Cal on the 12th. Even if you sell me on them not being favored there, they're favored everywhere else. In other words, there's some breathing room. Outside of that Ohio State game, who they get at home, by the way. So I'm not saying that's not a winnable game. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're sitting here uh, upgrading their offensive staff, dare I say. And they've got Drew Aller as a second-year full-time starter now. Again, it's 9.5. It's not 11.5. Uh, let's talk about USC for a second, since they're a Big Ten team now and all. There are varying opinions on the USC schedule here. They do open with LSU. That's a neutral site game out there in Las Vegas. They've got Notre Dame, as they do every year. So half of their non-conference, or actually, I guess, um, two-thirds of their non-con is LSU and Notre Dame. And they got Utah State for good measure in week two. But also, you see that Penn State game, and they go to UCLA the week before they play Notre Dame. There is no Ohio State there, but they do have games at Michigan, and they got a game against Penn State. I think, though, as tough as that is on paper, I look at the two road games at Michigan and at Washington, there's no better time to catch them. It's never going to be easy to go play them. But don't you want to catch both of them in total overhaul years or reset years in terms of coaching staff? Isn't that when you want to play them? So anyway, we got in an argument the other day on the show about where USC fits in in the new Big Ten, I said they're a Tier 3 program, which just meant I think they're the fifth or sixth best one in the Big Ten. And a lot of you disagreed with me from the USC side. So my whole point was, well, obviously one of us is going to be right, but the good news is if I'm the one who's wrong, this schedule will, will be your biggest point of ammunition because if I'm wrong, 
And if they're entering as a Tier 1 or Tier 2 Big Ten program, they'll be in the Big Ten championship game. Because this schedule should allow them, if they are that lofty, to be in the Big Ten championship game. UCLA, just briefly, they got six road games. There's a three-week stretch here where they go to LSU, and then they got Oregon at home, and then they go to Penn State. You might as well cue the Undertaker's music there. And they're, they're resetting in their own right out there. I uh, don't feel particularly great about their prospects this year. Washington got Jed Fish in, and, and not a lot else looks like it did last year on the roster either. They're midseason. You know, you look at that chunk of at Rutgers. And remember, that's flying from Seattle to Piscataway, New Jersey. Uh, they go at Rutgers and then Michigan. At Iowa, at Indiana, USC, at Penn State, UCLA, at Oregon. Blah. So I didn't put them in the automatic lean towards under, but that's one where we just got to check back middle of the year and see what they are. I have no clue. How could anyone have a clue what to expect from Washington this year? So that's a look at some Big Ten win totals. Every team playing nine conference games. That's just an early look. You can bet any of those you want to right now if you are so inclined over at FanDuel. Uh, we had a tweet that I wanted to get to about a certain team that can make a certain run deep in a certain postseason structure this year. Just see what you guys think about this. Um, who was it? Oh, so, so Evie Van Pelt hit me and said, Lane Kiffin and the Rebels all the way to the championship game this year. Because I asked what the biggest story in the sport this year will be. And Evie said, yeah, uh, Lane's going to the championship game. Hmm. I think 95% of the audience scoffs at that. And yet, they're sixth. They're tied for sixth. Tied for sixth. Not in the SEC. Ole Miss is tied for sixth in the college football playoff odds. This is the best shot they've had. Now, Ole Miss is a window program. This I'm not bending on. I'm not budging on this. I've had some folks push back on me when I say Ole Miss is a window program. All I, all I mean by that is they're not a team that's going to be there every year they got to circle a year and either build up towards it or go all in on it in 2024. The good news is uh, whoever's right amongst us, 2024 is that year. And so they're sitting here tied for sixth in the playoff odds. They have the number one ranked transfer portal class because of that, because of the all-in nature of this season. they got a returning quarterback. they got a loaded receiver room. Could end up being the best receiver room in college football at Ole Miss. They needed to upgrade defensively. They did on paper. Now, as we all know, they don't play football games on this, but on paper, what more could you do than go get the top-rated defensive lineman out of the portal, the number two edge guy, the number three linebacker, got six, half a dozen defensive backs. Quantity does not always equal quality out of the portal. Ask LSU about that at defensive back last year. But again, the alternative was just sitting still with what they had. That wasn't going to be good enough. Alabama's in transition this year. LSU still got questions. You got Georgia and Texas as the teams with preseason win totals at 10 and a half. And then outside of that, Vegas is telling you Bama's at nine and a half, LSU's at nine and a half, Missouri's at nine and a half, Ole Miss is at nine and a half. And by the way, Georgia, Texas, Bama, LSU, Missouri, Ole Miss only plays two of those five. So it's not the most loaded schedule in the world. So look, it's not my duty to sit here in February and say, yeah, absolutely, they'll be in the title game. 
But anyone who gets shocked if that happens, I don't think is paying a lot of attention. But, but, to end on a real note, don't be surprised if they go 8-4 and four as well. And what a prediction this is, by the way. Uh, the only reason I say that is because it's high risk, high reward when you do it this way. When you do it this way, if you drop a game early, you really test the metal of a locker room that was not put together in the traditional manner. You got a lot of hired guns coming in. You got a lot of mercenaries coming in. And um, anyone who has a problem with that language does not understand the reality of roster construction. Lane Kiffin would agree with it. Probably not on the record. He knows they have to do it that way. He knows they just did do it that way. Anyway, that's the state of college football right now. So Ole Miss is with it. They're doing exactly what they have to do. But it's a struggle. It's a unique challenge when you put together a roster that way. If things go right, it's easy. If things go wrong, if you have a little bump in the road, you find out how tight the lug nuts are. And it's a lot of lug nuts you got to count on. And this is probably the only show you'll hear that terminology on today. So you're welcome. Let's move on. I I felt it a good night to talk about this. I almost hit on it the other night, but I said no, because we already went over an hour. So I'm going to take a little sip from the chalice. And I want to ask you a question. Colin, here's a good end point for you. How well do you remember 2018? One of our viewers from Ozark, Missouri hit us up and said, how do you view the 2018 coaching hires five plus years later? It seems like there were more misses than hits. Dude, they were all misses. This is insane. They were virtually all misses. So if you're listening on podcast, you don't get to see this TV 14 slash TVMA style graphic we're putting up of a who's who of failed coaches. 2018. Taught me, it taught all of us. It should have taught all of us valuable lessons. So I'm going to go through some hires at the Power Five level. And I want you to think about this. Arizona hires Kevin Sumlin. He goes 9 and 20. Arizona State, Herm Edwards, fired after going 26 and 20 in a bunch of scandal. Uh, Chad Morris didn't even win a conference game at Arkansas. He's out after two years. Dan Mullen at Florida. Probably one that they want back at this point at Florida, but nevertheless, Mullen goes. Mullen commits the crime of going 34 and 15, and he gets fired. Uh, Willie Taggart lasted two years at Florida State. He's out. Scott Frost can't miss. Scott, he missed 1631. I think all 31 losses were by one possession. He's out. Uh, Matt Luke interim, and then a couple of years at Ole Miss, and then he's out in 2019. I'm gonna come back to Cristobal. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt. Either five and nineteen or sixteen and nineteen, depending on whether you count the the uh, revoked wins from the NCAA. He got fired a couple of years in. Jimbo lasted a little bit longer. He just got fired, forty five and twenty five. And then we had Chip Kelly, who just threw up the deuces at UCLA. So he's now a coordinator at Ohio State, and the only one who kind of sort of left on his own terms was Mario. He gets hired at Oregon, goes thirty five and thirteen. And then he takes the Miami job, and Oregon wanted to keep him. So Mario Cristobal was the only guy out of 2, 4, 6, 8, 11 at the Power 5 level alone that even lasted more than a couple of years, much less left on his own terms and is still around, like gainfully employed at the position that he was hired to be in. Um, wow. You look at back at that cycle, and here's what would be embarrassing. 
Uh, fortunately, we had not started the show yet. What would be embarrassing is if you went back and listened to what you said about them. I learned a lesson. It's the 2018 protocol. That's how we call it around here. The 2018 protocol is be very careful heaping praise when new hires happen. It's a happy day anytime a new coach is introduced. Boston College just introduced Bill O'Brien today. Okay, it's a happy day. Happy day because everyone's glass half full and everyone is focused on the best possible scenario, which rarely plays out. So Mimo had it figured out a long time ago, talking about coaching searches. She said, a cracked glass can still be full if you pour fast enough. And that's exactly the mentality a lot of people have when a hire is made. There are cracks that should be obvious. There are flaws in the hiring process or there are flaws in the situation that that coach is being plugged into that should be obvious, but they're not because we, I am including myself here, guilty on occasion, sometimes choose to just pour too fast. And so there are cracks in the glass. It's not totally shattered. There are cracks in the glass. And if we just poured some water in there and watched, it'd leak out pretty quick. But what are we doing? We're pouring faster than it leaks. So that thing looks full. That thing looks full. Chad Morris looks like the right hire at Arkansas. I have sold myself on it. He's the right hire. Chad Morris uh, out a couple of years later. Where was that on here? Chad Morris was 4-18, and 18, man. Oh, just an all-time debacle of a hire there. I'm not banging on Chad Morris. I'm just saying that's one of, as you saw, a long list. I mean, Florida State hired Willie Taggart, and there were cracks everywhere. And yet, it was just, mm, just ignored him. Just ignored him. So, no more for me. That's why when Michigan elevated Sharon Moore, uh, a lot of you picked up on uh, hesitance in my voice. I didn't talk about this, actually. But I got a lot of feedback from folks saying, why don't you sound sold on Sharon Moore? Well, it's because I'm not sold on Sharon Moore. But it's not just about Sharon Moore. It's about the entire picture. There's a world where Sharon Moore just isn't qualified and he doesn't cut it and he's fired in a couple of years. There's a world where he succeeds. There's a third world over here, though, that's all too often the case where maybe Sharon Moore was good enough, but maybe he was put in a no-win position. Let's say NIL is not fully in the place it needs to be. Let's say there's friction in the athletic department. This is not a Michigan thing. This could be an any university thing. And let's say Sharon Moore's out after a couple of years, but then if you sit down with him and you talk to him, he tells you, Josh, I, yeah, I have a healthy amount of blame at my feet, but I really feel like I never had a shot. And then he just takes an hour and lists a bunch of stuff that was happening behind the scenes that you were never aware of. And you listen to it and you say, wow, well, now that you put it that way, I don't know many people I could have dropped in that situation that would have succeeded. And there have been coaches recently that have been fired. And it's, it's look, it is what it is. It's a bottom line business. I'm not here to ask you to feel sorry for them. But if you knew what the situations were behind the scenes for some of these guys, you'd sit there and say, wow, I'm not going to bang on him. He's not the one that's at fault nearly as much as this person, this person, this person that created an untenable situation. Sometimes it's sour grapes. Sometimes it's excuse making. Also, there are other coaches out there winning and they've got a metric ton of, of flaws all around them and they're getting it done in spite of that. And I understand all that. Guess why? Very much it's a case by case situation. But the 2018 hiring cycle taught me 
Don't just be lapping up the Kool-Aid at the press conference because everyone wins their press conference. If you lose a press conference, man, then you're really in for it. So, yeah, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be pom-pom waivers so much in the future. Like DeBoer, I think I was pretty effusive in Alabama's hiring of him, but I'd be effusive in anyone's hiring of Kalen DeBoer because uh, he's got a track record. He's done it now. I actually really, really believe in him. And I'm pretty sure Alabama is all on the same page when it comes to winning down there. So it's, it's time in this show here on Thursday night to do something that I would challenge anyone to try and do. And um, that is rank programs in a conference. We've done this with a few conferences recently. This was the most challenging. Tonight's task, should you accept it? Actually, let me take a sip from the chalice. I will need all the energy I can get for this. All right. Colin, actually, here's your endpoint for the individual video. Tonight's task, should you accept it? is to rank the programs in the Big 12. And when I say program, I don't mean team. I mean, let's look at a rolling three-year snapshot and let's value on-field results and talent acquisition and stability and resource pool, which is how I define a program, and rank them. Utah, I think, is the best program in the Big 12, and they just got there. But Utah, under Kyle Whittingham's rock-solid stable, they're 28 wins, Two Pac-12 titles over the past three years. Supreme development. You're not going to find an elite recruiting team in this entire conference. But they are supreme developers of the talent they do have. Eight-plus wins in 14 of 18 full seasons under Kyle Whittingham. That's the best program in this conference. Utah walks in the Big 12 and says, Hi, everyone. And then they go sit in the front row. Kansas State's right behind them. Kansas State, I think, has the best overall head coach. Chris Kleiman is graded as our top head coach. In the Big 12, 27 wins and a Big 12 title over the past three years. They are also supreme developers of talent. You're not going to find them in the top 10 on signing day, but you will occasionally find them in the top 10 rankings any given week because they're that good at winning with what they have. What about Oklahoma State? Yeah, now, I know some of you, let me hit timeout. Some of you are going to be listening to this and Oklahoma State, top four, Texas Tech, top four. Remember, it's all relative to who else is in the conference. If these teams were in the SEC or the Big Ten, they may not be quite that high. This is the Big 12, absent Oklahoma and Texas, by the way. Okay, time in. Oklahoma State's number three as a program in the Big 12 right now. Why? They got a couple of double-digit win seasons in the last three years. They got two trips to the conference title game in the last three years. Mike Gundy, rock solid, actually have him graded as a top three coach in the Big 12. And... There's consistency. There's stability there. So Oklahoma State's way up there. Texas Tech, Joey McGuire's already got them in the top four. On field, they've had three winning seasons here. Uh, they've had a ton of bad injury luck at quarterback. It's all baked in. Uh, they are the number one recruiting program in the Big 12 right now. They are the number one high school recruiting program in the Big 12, and that's being overlooked. Uh, but they are in Lubbock, Texas, really getting it done as much as anyone else in the conference at getting the right players out of high school, they're the only program, as a matter of fact, in the entire Big 12 with back-to-back -back classes inside the top 30. That's some trivia that you'd win some money at the water cooler with tomorrow, by the way. So that's tier one, Utah, K-State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Tier two, 
how do you place TCU? They just played in a national title game last year, but it's been bookended by five and seven seasons. So I've got two sub-500 years and a national championship trip built in. Um, So I put them at number five. They got three recruiting classes in the top 45, three portal classes in the top 25. Sonny Dykes there, rock-solid stability. Uh, Just You can't have two sub-500 seasons in there and be any higher than fifth, I don't think. Kansas, imagine saying this three years ago. Kansas, the number six program in the Big 12. They went from two and ten to six and seven to nine and four. You see the definite upward trend everywhere here. Recruiting has gone from 117th to 73rd to 44. Lance Leipold, again, rock solid stability here. They have an outside shot at being a playoff contender this upcoming year. Just rest on that. I don't need feedback right now. Just marinate on that. Kansas, postseason potential. Football. And they're not even playing their games in Lawrence this year either. What a shame. Next up, there they are. Gus Malzahn, Central Florida. UCF was the best of the G5 jumpers last year. Last year was their first time in the Big 12. They came in with like Brigham Young. They came in with Cincinnati. They were the best of that group. Gus Malzahn's been there, man. He's been through the SEC wars. They got three top 35 portal classes. They just landed the number three class in the Big 12. They had the most blue chip rated players in the entire Big 12. Gus Malzahn, with access to Florida athletes and really good investment from a university standpoint, they're going to keep scaling. That doesn't mean every year the record will get better, but if you plot this thing and you look at the overall trajectory of the program, Central Florida is going to be a steady climber here. There's no reason to think that that program's going backwards anytime in the near future. What about Tier 3? Tier 3 in the Big 12. I got Arizona. It's really tough to peg them. I mean, with Jed Fish still there, Arizona probably is higher. I have to take into account the change at head coach. Give Brent Brennan time. I have no problem with that. Uh, but they went from 1-11 and 11 to 5-7 and 7 to 10-3 and 3 last year. You talk about trending in the right direction. Recruiting's trended the other way, but the on-field was good for them. But then they lose the head coach. And so I got Arizona at 8. I've got Iowa State at 9, but soon to be higher. I think we can all agree with that. I think we should all agree with that. How dare you not agree with that? Iowa State, playoff contender this year as well, by the way. They're at number nine, two winning seasons. Uh, recruiting and portal, yeah, it's been questionable. That's okay, though. This means we got room to improve there. They've got themselves in a prime spot this year. It's a wide-open Big 12. Prime spot to pop back on the national scene. Some would say they never left it. They've been on the national scene in my heart ever since, well, we started this show. But Iowa State at number 9. Colorado at 10. Where would you put Colorado? We had a fight about this today. Where would you put Colorado? So on one hand, we value on-field results, and they're well below 500, have been for a while. We value stability. No one knows year to year whether Dion's still going to be there, and they've had fluctuation even with him coming in the past couple of years. But they're the best talent acquirer in the Big 12 when you combine recruiting and portal. And there's been a ton of energy pumped into the program. So I don't know. It's, it's very volatile. You could put him at 7. You could put him at 12. I don't know. I have no clue where to put Colorado. So I put it at number 10. West Virginia, we put it at number 11. 9-4 and four last year. 
after two losing seasons, uh, they are a classic team versus program argument. So last year's team gives you hope, but you got to take into account the last three years. This year will tell the tale, I think, ultimately on Neil Brown and the overall direction of the program. Talent's been okay. Talent acquisition okay by Big 12 standards, mediocre by national standards. And then the bottom tier here, we got Houston at 12, just picked up Willie Fritz at head coach. Good resources there. Uh, coming off a four and eight year, I put Arizona State at 13. I feel Kenny Dillingham's perfect energy guy for that program. Three and nine the last two years, though. They do have two top 25 portal classes in a row. So let's keep an eye on them. I got Baylor at 14. The hire of Jake Spavadol at offensive coordinator has to work out or that staff will be gone. And I'm a huge Dave Aranda guy. I haven't sold an ounce of my Dave Aranda stock. Let me be clear about that. But still, as a program, they're way down the list. And then Brigham Young at 15, Cincinnati at 16. Both struggled year one in the Big 12. Mediocre talent acquisition, whatever. So there you go. Your Big 12 power rankings, one through 16. Because why in the world would we have any conference these days in college football that has a number in its title that has an actual amount of teams that correlates with the number in the title. The Big, well, the big 10 has 18 now, right, Jesse? The Big 12 has 16. Uh, yeah, that, there you go, college football, 2024. Pac-12 has two, for the record. It's, just, it's easier there. Just take out the one, and you are the Pac-2 at this point. Uh, we had a question about the quarterback position that I wanted to get to. Appreciate you guys being tuned in on a Thursday night here, just grinding along. I know some folks are at the beach, more power to you. I know some folks are just checking out, taking their vacation time, more power to you. There is no off-season on this show. And uh, we got some real fun stuff coming up over the next month and a half or so. We won't always be in the studio either. I've said too much. Josh hit us up, love the name by the way, Burning J is his handle. He said, which transfer quarterbacks from this cycle will make the biggest impact on their new teams? Some Bellevue, Ohio. Well, Dylan Gabriel's got to be one at Oregon. So it's the best one-year acquisition, I think, that anyone could have made. Underrated dual threat, especially when you consider the talent that he's going to be playing with there. 3,000-plus yards in four seasons, only six interceptions each of the last two years. Doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. That's a Heisman contender. I think right now at FanDuel, he's got the third-best Heisman odds. So we go from Oklahoma to Oregon. Dylan Gabriel is one of them. Uh, Will Howard, certainly, from Kansas State to Ohio State is one. Yes! Yeah, I talk about Will Howard just so Colin can play the B-roll of them playing Iowa State in the blizzard this past year. And if you don't mind me, I'll just watch it for a second. Okay, he's going to have a better everything around him at, at Ohio State. And you're just talking about raw athleticism now. They've got a better department there then all due respect, and I have immense respect for Kansas State than he was playing with in Manhattan, Kansas. It needs to improve in turnovers, but, man, he's got – is this right, Jesse? Will Howard is tied for third in the Heisman market right now? Wow, I did not know that. I didn't know he was that high. So there you go. FanDuel's got you some odds out there already on the Heisman. Uh, Cam Ward at Miami. I am a believer – that the Cam Ward announcement happened at a time where there was so much other stuff happening in college football that a lot of people missed this. So Cam Ward was at Washington State last year, and then there was word that he was going to go to the draft. But he never hired an agent, and so as long as you didn't hire an agent, you can come back and do whatever you want to. And then he 
doesn't go to the draft, and he goes to Miami, and voila, there you go. Mario Cristobal's got his quarterback down there. Miami returns 74, 74% of their offensive production, but only 33% or 53% of their defense. That's 84th, by the way, in the country. So, in other words, they got to score this year. Figure to have to score. They keep stacking talent around him, and this is a guy certainly playing to up his draft stock. So all the motivation in the world. I think Cam Ward, one of the most important players in the ACC this year, will be Cam Ward. Grayson McCall feels 35 years old to me, still playing college football. Goes from Coastal Carolina, where he's coming off an injury, to NC State. Talked about NC State. Had him as the number three program in the ACC. Got a strong wide receiver group there. Good landing spot. And ultimately could be a difference maker there in the conference race. And also, we cannot forget about Riley Leonard. He was not at Duke anymore. Now he's at Notre Dame. And Notre Dame's going to put a lot on his shoulder. Um, completion percentage last year, 57.6%. Also was banged up at various points throughout the year. He's going to be a key because otherwise that could be a playoff team. They need to up the production at wide receiver. Hopefully Riley Leonard plays a big part in that. But there's several big names now. And notice, these are not afterthought teams. you got Oregon, Ohio State, Miami, NC State, and Notre Dame there. Every one of those teams has playoff potential. Some of them have national title potential. They're watching us in Louisville, Kentucky, Pearson, Florida, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, we need to have a nuanced discussion here for just a second. Um, and I'm going to talk about the Sean Elliott stuff in a little while. I mean, you realize we had a head coach voluntarily leave a program today at the G5 level to go be a run game coordinator. You, you guys realize that? I know everyone's paying attention to Chip Kelly. No, that also happened today. So I'm going to get to that in just a second. Colin, show me that Penn State tweet right quick. Um, Aaron hit us up. Could be one of Jesse's burner accounts. But as far as we know, Aaron hit us up and said, with the new coordinators at Penn State and the portal talent they've gathered, is this a team primed to make a legit playoff run this season? Well, Aaron, they've got the 10th best odds to win the whole thing. So Vegas thinks, yeah, they should be a playoff team this year. I think they should be a playoff team this year. Penn State might as well sponsor the playoff expansion. There is no team out there that an expanded playoff will benefit more than Penn State. They have finished top 12 six times in the college football playoff era, and they have zero playoff appearances because it was only a four-team field. Do you hear what I just said? They have, have, they have finished in what would have been the playoff field so many times. And now if they do nothing more than maintain the caliber of their program, they'll be sitting there every year. They can lose a couple of games, and they'll be sitting there every year. Now, this is going to be a dumb argument that we're going to have. I am, I'm gearing up for it. We're going to have it. Just like the Penn State overrated argument. You know we have that one all the time. People say, James Franklin's overrated. Penn State's overrated. I, of course, say, no, they're not. What's your proof they're overrated? And then people say, well, they can't beat Ohio State and Michigan. To which I say, but they're not ever rated higher than those teams. Who are they losing to that they're not supposed to lose to? At which case you say, well, they can't be 3-17 and 17 against top 10 teams. And I say, well, they can be if they were not favored against the teams. Like, you're telling me they're overrated. I'm asking you, what are they rated? Where should they be rated? So anyway, same thing's going to happen here. This guy didn't ask me, is Penn State going to win the title this year? He asked me, is Penn State primed to be a playoff contender? Well, of course they are. Absolutely they are. 
Penn State, last year's version of Penn State, would be in the playoff this year. Two years ago, that version of Penn State, they're in the playoff. It's just that the field's bigger this year. Hey, side note. Does anyone know what it would be like for Penn State to have a home playoff game? Just think about that for a second. Think about what kind of recruiting tool that would be. What would that be, Jesse? Would that be mid-December, I guess it would be? Like the, the, the week before Christmas, I think, is when that first round is slated for, and we're going to have home playoff games in that round. What if Penn State had a home playoff game? What if LSU had to go to Penn State in December? Hmm? Just, just thinking out loud there. James Franklin doesn't have to change a thing about himself and he could also see his stock explode over the next few years. Not by me. I'm going to think the same thing about him I do now. Because I just told you in this scenario, nothing changes about James Franklin. Nothing changes about Penn State. If they just remain the same, it's going to go from, uh, you know, at the doorstep, but not able to get through the door, Penn State, to perennial playoff team, Penn State. Nothing changed about them. Their surroundings changed. So... Yeah, man, Penn State absolutely a playoff contender this year. We've got their odds already. I told you, if you go to FanDuel right now, which I would highly encourage you to do because they're the exclusive odds provider of the show, they have the 10th best odds. 10th best. Talk, talked about Ole Miss earlier. They got the 6th best odds. Let me tell you what that means. I got, we've got a lot of friends in Alabama who are watching uh, sports betting legislation wind its way through the courts down there. I can't believe, by the way, that the state of Alabama is going to beat the state of Georgia to legalizing sports betting. Because when I was growing up, you know, you got your Aunt Jane there in Birmingham, and when the lottery gets to a certain point, she's asking certain people across the Chattahoochee River to buy lottery tickets for her because they weren't legal in Alabama. Are we inverting the paradigm here? Are people in Harris County, Georgia, going to have to drive across the river to Lee County, Alabama to place their bets? That's what we're doing down there, huh? Anyway, I digress. Wherever you are, if it's legal, FanDuel is your option. And they've got odds right now in the national championship. And so if you feel, for example, that Ole Miss right now is sixth, but there's going to be a lot of hype around the team and the number's not going to be as good come week one, well, go bet it now. You bet five bucks. You win 150. Now you'd have to wait a long time for that one. But you could also just go bet Tennessee basketball their next game. $5. You get 150 in bonus bets. Where? FanDuel. Again, the exclusive odds provider of Late Kick. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. 
Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. I got a question here and then I wanted to end talking about this situation with Sean Elliott today. I don't think I've ever talked about, certainly not teased, a segment about Georgia State football as much as I uh, have tonight, but... I don't have never seen a situation like what happened today. So, Colin, someone asked about the format. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, I promise you, but I did want to address this. So, uh, Spartan Dog, D4O, from Saginaw, Michigan, said, Do you enjoy that Tuesday podcast more than the three shows per week, just in terms of producing the show? Uh, what he's talking about is uh, most of the year we do Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night live, and that's it. And if you want to listen on podcast, it's there later that night and the next morning. But during this time of year, we have a live show Sunday and a live show Thursday. But we also do a podcast only version. It's usually Tuesday or Wednesday. It'll be in your feed. And it's just mailbag. And to answer his question, I love it. Now, the downside is that means there aren't games happening. So I always want it to be in the season. But certainly this time of year has to happen. And as far as our production, I love it. Uh, I love it because I always feel like our best content's the content you guys come up with anyway. And it's free-flowing. And I would say about 80 to 85% of the questions are about college football, but there's just the right amount of mixture of other stuff in there. Um, we, don't, we don't do anything remotely political. We don't do anything remotely uncomfortable feeling, but there is some fun stuff mixed in there. So yeah, truth be told, I do love that format. Now, I wanted to talk to you about this before I went off air. <clears throat> so, today, you may or may not have seen the headline that Sean Elliott, who's been the head coach at Georgia State several years, stepped down, and he's going to be the tight ends slash run game coordinator at South Carolina. Just a wild headline. And he had reasons, and he talked about how it was personal, and I, I'm not here to tell you that that's not true, but I don't think it's 100% about that. I think a lot of it has to do with the structure of college football, and I get it. I get it. As I told you guys a few weeks ago in, when we were talking about the difference in coaching today and how some guys didn't like it as much, I told you one of the pieces of feedback I had gotten was guys who were at the G5 level were looking to get on, on one of the few remaining boats at the power level as soon as they could because they were worried that like the SEC and the Big Ten may just detach and float away from the rest of the sport and the hiring would be really incestuous, which it always is in college football anyway, and the NFL as well. And they're worried if they're not already in those circles, those circles will be further away and harder to get into than they ever have been before. So they just want to make sure they got a spot on that boat and they don't care. They don't care if it's a tight ends coach and they got to let go of a head coaching position at a lesser tier to get there. They're going to get there. They went seven and six last year at Georgia State. They've had winning seasons four out of the last five years. That's a pretty wild move. It's certainly uh, indicative and a reflection of the uncertain nature of college football today, but they feel it at that level way more than the power levels. I mean, in the SEC, Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart's down the road 60 or so miles from Atlanta, 
But there is a Grand Canyon world galaxy difference, whatever that is, between Georgia State football and Georgia football. Because at Georgia, they'll lose a lot of players too, but they can go get whoever they want to. And no one's raiding their roster at the 11th hour. Georgia State is where other programs up the ladder go when they get their roster plundered to backfill. So think about the big lie that we talk about all the time in college football. The big lie in college football is you are what your record says you are. And normally, we're talking about that in different contexts. But think about it from a head coach's perspective. It's hard enough to be a head coach and win because it's competitive. And a lot of other good guys are doing what you do. A lot of other good players and good teams out there. So you could be pretty good and tote a 5-7 and seven record any given year. But think about how many things are now out of your control. You go recruit the best roster you could recruit at Georgia State. You go take the best kids you could take. You develop them. And your prize at the end is you finally built towards this year where you think you're going to have a pretty good team and you've done it the right way and you've cultivated a, a good atmosphere. And then LSU takes your tight end and Tennessee takes a couple of your interior offensive linemen and your, your all-conference safety is headed to Michigan. And you look and you say, wait, come this fall, they're going to judge me by my record and they're not going to pay attention to all this. No one cares about the context. If you go four and eight, you're just a four and eight head coach. And you're sitting there at the G5 level saying, hey, all the dudes up the ladder are whining, but at least, at least they get to feed on us. We are the bottom of the food chain here. And I think I can't tell you whether Sean Elliott had this train of thought, but I can tell you a lot of guys in similar positions are thinking right now, if I'm going to have my fate this far removed from being in my hands, screw that. I'm going to take a position job because I know I can coach football. I know I can do that. I know I can run a running back's room or a tight end room. I know I can coordinate a run game. I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to make sure I'm in that world, and eventually I'm good enough. I'll work my way up, and I'll, I'll be able to get hired as a coordinator, serve my two years, and I'll eventually be a head coach, and I'll be a head coach at a place where at least I do have a lot more of my fate and my destiny in my hands. But you're the head coach at Georgia State right now. Do you understand and Jesse, do we have this confirmed that they postpone spring practice? They postpone spring practice because of this. You, you don't, short of like the COVID year or having tragedy on campus, you don't do that. They did it. They just lost their head coach and said, we're not going to have spring practice. Right, that's, how, that's how up in the air things are at Georgia State right now. Like I said, there's no quick fix on this, and I don't expect it to be this way forever. But this is why being proactive is very important in sports and in life so that you have competent leadership that takes care of things on the front end. And maybe it seems like they're rushing or putting a cart before the horse or, or acting way out of turn, but they're being proactive. That's what it looks like. You know, when, when you um, take measures well ahead of time, long before the crisis is there, to the untrained eye, it looks like you're, you're over-preparing. You know, if you have disaster food in your basement, well, that looks stupid on a Sunday, Tuesday afternoon, but all of a sudden, power's been out for six weeks, you don't look stupid anymore. And so there were a lot of measures our sport could have taken a while back to avoid some of this. We didn't, and now here we are, and it's up to competent people to fix it. Fingers crossed that they will. I'm still here. 
you could elect me commissioner tomorrow, I would be happy to go to work to serve our great sport. In the meantime, though, I'm going home because I have to eat. And Director Colin and Jesse have bedtimes. And so for them, for myself, enjoyed it, guys. Have a great start to your weekend. We'll be right back here, same time, Sunday night. Until then, take care and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.